So, good morning again, everyone. So, we'll speak for a few minutes about the significance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's advent, and then in the later afternoon we'll have an Abhishek, which will, um, it's a sacred uh, ritual, bathing ritual for the the deities, and um, we'll observe that and and uh, accompany with uh, kirtan, and then there'll be another discussion from the sacred texts about the significance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's advent in the world, and then there'll be aratik and feast. So we're fasting for the day. And when we do break the fast, everything that uh, will be honored from the feast will be without grains. It's a custom, uh, without going into the reasoning for that, a custom on such days. So, perhaps a de- departure from the, the norm, as it might be seen, Today and this this morning, I'm going to speak a little bit about the significance of the other self of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Sriman Nityananda Prabhu, Sinitai Chanduki Jai. This course coming in the wake of our discussions yesterday about the principle of Guru, and Nityananda Prabhu is sometimes said to embody that in many respects. We see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as Krishna in his Leela or divine play acting as the, the Acharya. Acharya means the, a guru, but Acharya means behavior. So the one who teaches by their example. So Krishna has spoken about bhakti to himself, for example, in the Gita, but he advents again as Chaitanya in, a, in the form of a devotee of himself to teach by his example what that... Uh, Devotion is about, and, and of course, the example speaks, as they say, louder than precept, and um, it brings the theoretical into the practical for us. And in this respect, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu then is is the guru of the sampradaya, the lineage. He's described as such in Sarvasambhadini of Jiva Goswami as the founder of his own sampradaya. Sampradaya means like a community or a, a lineage. Uh, that's an interesting side point perhaps we can discuss in brief because in our particular paribar or sect of the followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we lay emphasis on the idea that the community, the lineage, is, is the Brahma Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya. So we, we trace it back to the line or the lineage that precedes the advent of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And some Gaudi people take exception to this idea. It was a strong emphasis of Bhakti Vinod. And we were in the Bhakti Vinod Paribar, or the, the family of Bhakti Vinod. Prabhupada, my Guru Maharaj, used to say that this is the movement of Bhakti Vinod, about his mission, appropriately. So that's an interesting topic, too. Maybe we'll go there briefly. But <laughs> first, 
Brahma Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya. This is a nice topic. We go here for a while because this is how it's all coming to us. The, the, uh, the news of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's advent, the significance of that and so forth. Uh, so Brahma Madhva Gaudiya, and some people, as I say, take exception to that because they want to emphasize that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu formed his own Sampradaya and it's distinct from the Madhva Sampradaya. And of course, it is distinct in many ways in terms of its emphasis, in terms of its philosophy and theology. So in, in substance, really, it is a, a distinct uh, lineage. The Madhva lineage, for example, continues on today. They're a Vaishnava lineage like ours. They have a different perspective, if you will, on the Absolute, which is a fine, uh, from our perspective, <laughs> we just have a different one. And their there, point being that there are there's room for different perspectives and different uh, sentiments with which we ultimately embrace the the absolute Bhagavan. So it is different in many respects without going into the, the details of that. But at the same time, it's hardly forced to describe it as the Brahma Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya for the very simple reason that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself, who, as I say, is Krishna in the form of a devotee of himself and taught by his, thereby, example, he, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, did what? You can follow my line of reasoning. He accepted a guru. So he has a connection with a guru and with a lineage that precedes him. And there was no Gaudiya lineage, so to speak, all of the seed of what that uh, the fruit and fla- flower and fruit that appeared in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is said to have first appeared in Madhavendra Puri. Madhavendra Puri was not a, a Gaudiya Vaishnav. If we look at Gaudiya Vaishnavism as beginning exclusively with, with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And there's, of course, a likelihood that he was in the Madhva Sampradaya for different reasons. And he had a disciple named Ishwar Puri, and Ishwar Puri became the guru of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So there is a lineage that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu precedes Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that he is tangibly connected with. And we acknowledge that as the Madhva Sampradaya, despite the fact that there are differences in substance in the teaching, there's a connection in, in form. And then the Madhva lineage then dates itself back to Vyasa and so forth and ultimately Brahma. And of course, then, what's given to Brahma in Bhagavat, in, uh, in four verses in the Bhagavat, uh, which are said to be the, the essence of the whole text, kind of the, the seed of the whole text that flowers in, in 18,000 verses, these four, spoken by Krishna himself to Brahma. If we study them carefully, we, we, we find that while the Madhva conception is within that, the Gaudiya conception is also within that. So here is Krishna starting the lineage, Krishna to Brahma. And if Krishna should appear again in the lineage, then he may shed new light on the significance of what he taught Brahma. And that is then the difference, if you will. It could be construed as different, but actually it's, it's a shedding, as I say, of new light on the subject, which often then does appear to be a departure. This is actually 
in a dynamic sense, the very nature of the Guru Parampara, the lineage, one after another. It means Parampara means one after another. So there's a succession. So there's a kind of carrying of the torch, if you will, and handing it on of the, of the knowledge. But in the context of doing that, the successor in the lineage, it is thought, should give more. This is certainly the aspiration of the teacher, that the student will do more. And the student will do more and will think, I'm only doing it by the grace of my, my own guru. But the more, sometimes it's thought, well, if you say, for example, only as much as Prabhupada, who was my guru, said, then you're okay. If you say more than that, you're suspect. It should be the other way around. <laughs> it should be suspect if you can't say more, something more. If you can't take something from your father's business and do something more with it, then they wonder, but what kind of son is that? <laughs> he, can't, he couldn't do anything with the business. He couldn't take it to the, to the next level and so forth. And of course, there are always new times. Well, that's the whole idea of the parampara and the necessity of it, new circumstance. So it needs to be presented at least in consideration of the time and circumstance. And in the context of doing that, new, new light will come out. That's the nature of the, of the subject. It has... Uh, it's, uh, it has no, no limit. So Prem is of that nature. It's full, but always expanding what to do. So it's a justifiable position to take, that being that we call the lineage the Brahma, Madhva, Gaudiya, Sampradaya, in a very practical sense. There is a connection that's undeniable, even while there's a difference which is undeniable, but again, if we look at the difference carefully, we'll see it's not a, really a difference. It's, a, it's an ex- exploring more of the depths of the same thing that is given to uh, Brahma at the beginning of time, if you will. So, members of the Brahma Madhva Gaudiya lineage, and it still is the, sometimes called the Chaitanya Sampradaya, the Gaudiya Sampradaya for short, instead of the whole Brahma Madhva Gaudiya, and and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the founder, and he is Krishna in the form of, of a devotee of himself, and it's his Acharya Leela, his Leela, Krishna's Leela, of, of being the teacher, being the guru. I mean, he plays the role a little bit in the Gita, but that's not his main role. That's one, one short and important, no doubt, section of the larger text, Mahabharata, and so forth. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Krishna, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, whole life teaching, and teaching primarily by example. We know he didn't write anything. These eight prayers of Shikshastakam are first mentioned in Rupa Goswami's book, what is that, Padyavali, and uh, they don't appear to have an order to them. It was Krishna's Kaviraj in his Chaitanya Charitamrita that included them and gave them an order. And so this is, again, part of the lineage. It's making something out of what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave, drawing more from it and so forth. But at any rate, by and large, he was not an acharya who wrote a dissertation on the sutras of Vyas. He said, why shall we do that? What is the necessity? Bhagavatam is there. It is a natural commentary on the sutras. And, and so he shied away from writing anything, a precept. He rather primarily taught by his example. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu made huge waves in the subcontinent of India, which was a, at the time there was a very religious climate, of course, and uh, he made huge waves in that uh, ocean of, of, of spirituality. 
that uh, rippled all, all across India. And by that I mean he, he converted people of very high uh, stature in the uh, Indian and religious society of the time. The great Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, who hailed originally from the hometown, if you will, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu from Nadia, and had moved to Puri, was the most famous uh, logician in India. He's listed in the encyclopedia also. Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya is one of the leading logicians of all time in uh, India and perhaps the world. Very extraordinary personality. It's said that the Bhattacharya Sarvabhoma, in order to bring fame to Nadia, which was his original place of domicile before he moved to Puri, that he went to, what is that town, Matila? which was then the seat of learning in India. And the Navanyaya was a kind of a neo-system of logic, syllogism and so forth that was popular. There was a, the main book was there and they, of this, and they kept the books weren't so readily, you know, available and published and so forth without a printing press. So anyway, he went there and memorized the whole thing and then came back to Nadia and and he had much to do with establishing the intellectual climate in Nadia, making it what it then became, displacing Matila as the place of learning and the place where if you would go and if you would be successful in debate, then you were somebody. Of course, this is the, this is the place where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appeared, and this is something about the place that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu made look rather... Insignificant. He took knowledge of the time there and, and just played with it like you'd play with, you know, we used to call it Play-Doh. <laughs> with kids, you'd make an animal out of it, you make something else, it's a kind of a clay. Just So he took knowledge, then he just made whatever he wanted out of it. He'd give an argument and defeat everyone, and then he would defeat himself, and then he would all agree, and then he would again turn it back to the other argument. And this way he made a show of really, in one sense, his command of knowledge, but also the insignificance of knowledge, which at a certain point in his life, he gave all that up. He gave all that play up. He played with knowledge as if it were a toy. We're proud of our knowledge and what we, what we know. I mean, we live on a speck of dust in, in a vast universe that is you know, one amongst... From the Vedic point of view, it's a multiverse conception, so millions of universes. And what do we know? I mean, we think we know how the whole world works, or we soon will. It's, it's, it's really quite a folly. So Mahaprabhu Shichatanadev, he kind of showed this in his time, made knowledge just a plaything, and then he put it down and took to Krishna Bhakti. And at that point then, he taught, as I say, primarily by his example. The Sarvabhoma, who was uh, the Charja, who moved to Puri, when Mahabhu came there as a sannyasin, he met him, he converted him. And how did he convert him? By silence. That's how he converted him. But the Charja wanted to school him because he was a, a young man. I mean, how many people in this room know what it's like to be 25? <laughs> yeah. Seems like ancient history for some of us, and what we've you know we, what we've learned by experience since then. So the Bhattacharya saw this young boy, and a handsome boy, attractive boy, at 25 had taken sannyas, the renounced order, which is usually for 
older men who are you know wise by experience they've passed through family life and so forth and uh, they're spiritually learned and so I mean, how much can you know at 25 <laughs> it's not much and uh, of course I took sannyasa at 25 too <laughs> I didn't know as much as I know now <laughs> but at any rate Sarabhama Bhattacharya was a seasoned gent and uh, as I said, your reputation, well-earned for his soberness and logic and reason. He was attracted to the young lad of Nadia, and he was hearing the rumors rippling in from Nadia, from his own home, of what that the commotion that this boy had had created there. Nimai Pandit has taken sannyas. Nimai Pandit has taken sannyas. This is going out throughout the subcontinent. Nimai Pandit has taken sannyas. Such a young boy, and the whole town loved him. People usually think, well, he became a renunciate because, well, he didn't have much of a life anyway. You know? <laughs> Couldn't get a job, you know, he lost his wife or whatever. This is a boy who had everything. Everybody loved him. Only the Vaishnavas were upset with him. And they were a small group. They were except upset with him because he wasn't taking to Vaishnavism. Of course, then he did. And that part of his leela then and it began to, to exhibit extraordinary Vaishnavism and bhakti and so forth. Uh, anyway, the hero of the town and beautiful, his wife is, was the goddess of fortune herself, practically. He left all that. For us, he left his eternal associates. For us, he came out of his dam. Navadvip. He began Kirtan, a school of Kirtan, in the courtyard of Srivas, and only his closest associates could participate. But some nice people would sit on the bank of the Ganges and think, if only I could enter the Kirtan, if only I could be qualified. For them, he came out. Then, then he started moving all across India. So he came to Puri, as I say, and there the Bhattacharya had heard something about him, and then he saw him fall into a trance in the temple before the deity. And he had some natural affinity for him because of the relationship that he had with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's grandfather and father. This is how old he was and seasoned, as I say. And there's a young boy, and he wanted the best for him, of course. So he thought, I had better school him in the logic of Vedanta, because this boy is attractive in every way, and the world, you know, calls upon youth. Everyone wants youth. Youth is a, such a valuable commodity. It's a shame that we waste it, <laughs> making fun of old people <laughs> in our future, what it, what it will be, and how foolish we'll be if we don't use our youth wisely. So I thought, let me help him harness this youth and take advantage of it, the formative years, how valuable they are. And uh, so he sat to school him in Vedanta, and it went on for seven days, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said nothing the whole time. That silence, it created in the, in the Bhattacharya some apprehension, and as I said last night, a teachable moment, so to speak. And the Sarvabhoma started to become curious, he started to doubt his own knowledge. How is the boy receiving it? He's saying nothing. The gravity of his silence was deafening to 
Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya. And he couldn't go on with his dissertation. He had to say, what are you thinking? He had some sense that the boy knew, knew something. And of course, then he said a little something. But primarily, he created this sukriti in him, the devotional kind of piety in him, and that, that receptivity to what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu embodied. And he became, on the basis really of that silence, receptive and, and then able to receive. And he was converted comprehensively by Chaitanya Dev. I mean, Chaitanya Dev tested his, the measure of the Bhattacharya's conversion, both in terms of jnana and karma, both things. studies Leela and Chaitanya Charitamrita. Is there any trace of jnana? or karma in his idea of bhakti, or is it shuddha, pure bhakti? Is it bhakti for some material purpose? Is it bhakti for mukti, or is it bhakti for its own sake? He tested him. He came in the morning bearing the prasad of Jagannath, early in the morning, according to the karma marg and dharma shastras, then prasad of the deity is a good thing, but there are certain prerequisites that one will have to follow in order to honor it, like in the morning you get up, first you bathe, and so forth. And so, but the charger was still in bed, and Mahabhu came with the Jagannath Prasad, and I brought Jagannath Prasad, and but the charger just honored the Prasad. Mahabhu was very happy. Oh, you are not contaminated by the idea that if I don't do this rule of karma marg, then there'll be a problem. You see, this is not bhakti, shuddha bhakti. Anabilachita shunyam gyan karmadi anabritam ankulena krishnanu shilanam bhakti rutama. Gyan karmadi anabritam. This is the marginal, tatastalakshan, marginal characteristics of bhakti. It's not contaminated or covered by karma or, or gyan, which means in relation to karma, we don't think in the school of Shuddha Bhakti that if I don't do something according to the Dharma Shastras or the Karma Marg, if I forego that for bhakti, there'll be a problem for me. No, sarva dharman parityacha mamekam sharanam raja ahamkvam sarva papebhyo moksha yashami masucha. Krishna says, sin and come to me. It means in relation to the karma marg, you can break the rules. Just come to me. I'll cover you. You don't have to worry about the gods getting on your case for not honoring them and so forth. And after all, what is all that honoring of the gods about? It's basically an acknowledgement of the fact that we have a dependence. We're dependent entities in order to do whatever we want to do. In order to see, we need light. So we honor the, the source of light in the world, the sun, or to speak, or to hear. All of our senses are dependent upon something within nature, in the macrocosm, there is something that corresponds with the microcosm of our, our own material composite, if you will. And so to make that connection, it's not just some superstitious idea of, you know, God's flying on clouds or something like that. It's a very pragmatic thing. I've said before that, you know, if you live at home and you have a switch and you turn on, you get light and you turn a valve and you get water and you press a button and you get heat, you open a mailbox, you get a bill. Means that there's somebody on the other end, and you have to acknowledge them. If you don't pay that, lights go off, the water dries up, and it's a cold house. So, 
in a larger sense, the idea is we're dependent entities and we should acknowledge that. Modern society is very much fond of advocating freedom and independence, but it's often at the cost, unfortunately, of understanding the reality of our interdependence. We must find freedom within the context of the reality of our interdependence. When we don't acknowledge our interdependence, then we get into the kind of technological problem, if you will, of industrial society. So, if we acknowledge the source of the gods, if you will, and the goddesses, make a connection with that source, then to enter into bhakti, it's understood, for example, that the one's senses should be controlled and so forth, and that we're dependent entities in a larger sense. So all those rituals and rites and so forth, they can be foregone, if you will, and there'll be no consequence. This is the basic idea of bhakti when Krishna says, Sarva-dharman, you all know this verse, Sarva-dharman pratyajamamikam saranambhaja. This is the beginning of, it's the conclusion of the Gita, it's the beginning of bhakti. This is shraddha. This is faith. Faith, shraddha, and sharnagati, they go together, because faith is not a static thing. If you have it, as I said, what I say yesterday, when you do pariprasnena, proper inquiry, you get answers, and the result of the answer that comes from the proper inquiry is movement. From a suspended animation, we become fully animated. The doubts are removed, we move it. We're moving in a different way. We're moving with a serving ego rather than an enjoying ego. So sharanagati, surrender, if you will, and shraddha, faith. Sharanagati helps us take the word faith and give it, make it something tangible. It's often made out to be very intangible and questionable thing and a departure from, from reason and so forth. No. Shadhamayam Purusha. Person is their faith. That's a fact. So faith in Krishna means that all this other this karma mark can be transformed. And jnana also. It's not a mandate for sannyas there. But anyway the Bhattacharya was tested and he had no fear that by foregoing the rituals prescribed in the karma mark that he was very addicted to performing and, and for good reasoning and so forth, he now had higher reasoning, spiritual reasoning coming from the new idea, the new light of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It was like a new religion, practically. Although he's going to the source books, the Bhagavatam, the Gita and so forth, like had never been seen in that, from that light. Kind of a doubt, well, wait a minute, but, but so attractive, so compelling, not only in, in terms of the idea, the precept, but his, again, his example, embodying that, though he had to speak very little. You know, if you have real power and realization, then you don't have to speak much. That's why I talk so much. <laughs> so, <laughs> trying to make up for the loss there, but... Uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu liked this. Anyway, he converted Saravam Bhattacharya. He was satisfied with that. He was testing him. Is his bhakti covered by karma? No. He doesn't think that if I don't do this karmic ritual and just do bhakti, there'll be a problem for me. No. Later on, he tested him in relation to Gyan also. He was very satisfied to see the results. There's a nice verse from Bhagavatam. What is that verse? Verse 
No. He says... No. Shiramarsh coined the phrase, the environment is friendly. So, in relation to this verse, the word mukti is found at the end. And Sarvabhoma was very dissatisfied to hear this verse and the word mukti, because the word mukti conjures up a notion for many people that is independent of bhakti. There's the path of mukti, there's a path of bhakti. Actually, there isn't. There's only the path of bhakti, and you can't get mukti without bhakti. But anyway, he wanted to change the verse. Jiveta yo bhakti pade sadaya bhak. And Mahaprabhu said, Sir, my dear, learned about the charger. You can't change the word in the Bhagavatam. He says, I don't know, I can't, I can't take it. I can't stand the idea of mukti. So there's a type of bhakti for mukti, those who do bhakti to get mukti and then retire bhakti. Bhakti is generous. She has a form, sattviki bhakti. It's funny because the people who like this idea of bhakti for mukti, they think that bhakti is only sattvik instead of transcendental. They think the form of the Lord, the name of the Lord, and so forth, these things are sattvik. And the interesting thing is there is a sattvik form of bhakti who comes to help them get their goal. And so their bhakti, if you will, is covered by gyan. They do bhakti for mukti. Gyan means freedom. Knowledge means freedom, like it said in this university. So I mentioned the other day, you see that sign. It must be from the Romans or the Greeks. Greeks, I, I would guess that knowledge will set you free. So freedom, running away, getting away from the whole thing. Bhakti is not about that. It's not for a lazy person, bhakti. It's for taking some trouble. Gyan looks very uh, attractive. Do nothing. End of the struggle. Freedom, peace. Karma looks attractive. If I get things, more things, I'll be better off. My position will be better. And we think that if somebody has things, wow, they must be something. Or if they give up things, wow, it must really be something. So these, both of these are, they're, they're attractive. This is the, these are the two tracks, if you will, that our material life runs on, karma or jnana. And bhakti, so, so here's an example. So if we hear that, I heard you went to uh, Swami's uh, ashram for Gorparim. Oh yeah, yeah I did. How many people were there? Oh, there was, you know, there was 200 people. Wow, must be, must be something going on there. If you said, well, there was about 10 people up there, you know. Oh, oh, sorry I asked. <laughs> you get that kind of... I've had that, you know, I've been here for quite a while. We started with just a couple of people living in the tent, so... And I'm an international figure of sorts in the community of Godias, and so they, they would ask me, Marge, I hear you're, you're in, you know, in, in the woods in California. How many people are... Two. I guess I shouldn't have asked that. There's nothing... So... It's, it's an example of, of, of looking at bhakti in relation to karma, to things, to acquiring. Of course, you think you acquire it by bhakti and so forth, but not necessarily. Because you can do nam aparat and get all kinds of things from nam aparat. You can go to heaven and, and get all types of heavenly delights, big buildings and 
people and so forth. And if there's more people, then other people think, I guess it's time to go. You know, we should join. It's a big group. We want to identify with a big group kind of thing. So this is karma. And Gyan, then, if he's got, you know, I went to Marge's place, you know, he's only eating Tulsi leaves and standing on one leg. Wow. You know, so austerity, renunciation, detachment is, a, is, is concomitant to to knowledge. If you have knowledge, then you don't pursue things that don't endure, because you're in pursuit of enduring happiness, so that doesn't make sense, so power to give up and so forth. So we tend to look at bhakti and look at it in terms of jnana and karma, because that's where we come from. Those are the two tracks our life is running on. So we hear it, we enter in, and, but then we get a little covered sometimes by, we look at bhakti from a jnana perspective. How much does he sleep? Is he fasting? <laughs> what does that have to do with bhakti? Think about it. You can sleep for a long time. Vishnu sleeps a long time. <laughs> He's got lots of bhakti. He's a source of bhakti. Right? He eats a lot too. <laughs> so what does that have to do with bhakti? If it's useful for bhakti to sleep less, if it's useful to eat less or to fast, if there's a, if there, a Prabhupada would meet people and they would say that they were fasting, you can hear some of the recorded talks, sometimes he would meet people like that, say, oh, we're, uh, sir, we, we're fasting today. He, say, he would say, what for? What purpose are you fasting for? I mean, who wants to fast? If in the context of bhakti that becomes favorable, then we'll fast. And if in the context of bhakti it becomes favorable to feast, then we will feast. And what is bhakti? It's basically service. So it's like, isn't there anything else? <laughs> I mean, uh, what do we do next? <laughs> You just serve, that's all, without any expectation of anything in return. So it's, it's, um, it's not that easy to, to catch, really, what is bhakti, what is shuddha bhakti, pure bhakti. Mahaprabhu was satisfied, however, with Sarvabhoma's conversion, that it was complete. He said, sir, you can't really change the word of the Bhagavatam, but I do appreciate the measure of your conviction about bhakti that the very word mukti, which often is construed to be greater than bhakti. After all, bhakti can give mukti, right? There are many Advaitins that will acknowledge that bhakti can give mukti. So if bhakti can give mukti, what is the position of... Can mukti give bhakti? No. There's no bhakti in that kind of mukti that they aspire for. It's not even there. (laughs) Bhakti has nothing to do with that, the desire for mukti. But bhakti can give mukti, so what is her position? So anyway, he converted Sarvabhoma, comprehensive. Basically by being silent. And then on to the south he went, and he converted the Venkata. Venkata Bhatta was the head priest of the Ramanuja Sampradaya, huge position. This is a huge lineage in South India, and it's an opulent one too. A reverential love of God, big temple with a golden, solid golden dome, Rameshwaram and uh, Shirangam. These are like, if you go to these places, you, you think, I went to Vaikuntha. That's just incredible. I mean, they blow in the trumpets, doo, 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 and then the parade goes around, and the, the temple's like a city. The temple's like a whole city. Different corridors and different uh, deities of Vishnu in different places, and, and there'll be an Akadasi parade, and drums and trumpets, and move so far and stop and the deities on a palanquin and then Brahmins come out offering prayers. Oh, 
Shanti, and the parade moves on, and an offering and ritual is like fascinating, very otherworldly, adhoksaja, otherworldly to the extreme. Our school, of course, is aprakrita. It means it looks like the material world, but it's not. It's not prakrita, it's aprakrita, just the opposite. But it looks like it. It doesn't look on its face to be otherworldly. Therefore, Difficult to understand the Vaishnava. What are the motives behind the actions that might otherwise be ordinary, that other people are doing as well? So anyway, Venkata in Vaikuntha, he went to Vaikuntha, if you will, of South India, and he, and he converted the Venkata Bhatta and his family. How did he do it? By joking with him. He told a joke. He said, my dear sir, you are devoted to uh, Narayan and Lakshmi Narayan, admirable as it is. But I had a question about that because Lakshmi is known for her chastity to Narayan. But um, I was wondering why she wanted to go and have a, a rendezvous with Krishna. <laughs> and uh, you can imagine Venkata what you're talking about. What kind of thinking is this? Narayan and Krishna... They're the same. Don't question the chastity of, of Lakshmi. You can't do that. You can't make a joke out of this. Okay, that's true. But I had another question. He said, how come she wasn't successful? <laughs> then he, that, that was it. He said, he had a conversion at that point. He thought, where do you get these questions? Where does this, this kind of theological depth of thinking plumbing the depths of the of rasa come from? And he said, you tell me. I, 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 who would have even thought of such a thing? This is the way in which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu preached. Very like, this is Gaudiya Vaishnavism. You say the thing and it's like, huh, wow, yeah, I never thought about that, but it sure does make a lot of sense. Like you take Jiva Goswami. Many people have tried to explain the Bhagavatam, lengthy commentaries and so forth. What did Jiva Goswami do? He said, well, here's a way to look at it. What is the significance of the Bhagavatam? Well, it came to Vyas in Samadhi. Vyas was in the Samadhi. Samadhi nanusmratadvicheshtitam. He got this instruction from Narada. Go and meditate in trance. And he said, in the seventh chapter of the first canto, it's described what he experienced in the trance. So that should be the hub around which the whole Bhagavatam is understood. And you think, well, yeah, that makes sense, of course. You know. if, the, if the author of the Bhagavatam got it in the trance, Samadhi Basha, language of the trance, and the trance is described in the Bhagavatam, well, then the, the, that's where everything will... In other words, if what he experienced in his trance is stated here, and the Bhagavatam seems to say something else over here, then what it may seem to say that contradicts the trance can't be the proper understanding of it. So we'll understand, we'll find a way to understand that in relation to the trance that it comes out of. And so, so many misinterpretations of the Bhagavatam, if you study the trance, you'll find that achintibeda-beda idea. So, I mean, when you hear Bhagavatam, well, yeah, I mean, of course. But nobody did that. Nobody, so many commentators on the Bhagavatam, nobody thought to look at it like that. It's just like the, you know, 
where's my hat? Where's my hat? It's on your head. You know, you ever have that experience? <laughs> so it's kind of, the bhakti is, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu school, it's like this. It's very like common sense. Like, you, where's your commentary on the, on the sutras to establish your, your lineage? She said, well, we don't need one. It's already been written. It's the Bhagavatam. Guru Purana said, verses were always there. It's just like, you know, apples fall from trees all the time, but Newton got something out of it. He saw it fall and he thought, hmm, and so here we are today, you know, with the Newton's law of gravity. <laughs> Alexander was uh, conquered India. It was said, whoever can undo the Gordian knot, then will conquer the land. So so many big princes came and tried to untie that knot, and they were all unsuccessful. And the young Alexander came and said, I can do it. They said, yeah, let's see. He took his sword out and cut it. Why, anybody could have done that. <laughs> But nobody did that. Columbus has said he sailed the ocean and he was successful because it was said, whoever can stand an egg on its end can sail the ocean. That was as if to say, forget it. The earth is flat or whatever. You know, you can't sail the ocean. You try to stand an egg on its end. You know, it's just going to fall over. So Columbus said, I can stand an egg on its end. And so he took the egg and he went like that. <laughs> made a little dent in it, you know. Stood on the stand. Oh, I could have done that. <laughs> That's nothing. <laughs> and he's and here we are, you know, Americans. <laughs> Whatever. He sailed the ocean, and problems began for North America. <laughs> but uh, so, in this way, Mahaprabhu said, "But can you tell me why she was unsuccessful?" And he said, "You tell me." At that point, he was converted. You tell me why Lakshmi was not able to enter the Rasa dance. And, and of course, this is then core to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. You have to go there in a particular way if you're to enter there. You can't go there with this body. Lakshmi can't go there with her body. What kind of body you have to get? What kind of ego that corresponds with the body with the form? And how you get that and so forth. Even Lakshmi, if she's got a spiritual body, can't go there. So this way he converted. This is a huge conversion in South India. And then he, you know, he went to the north in Banaras on his way to Vrindavan. Prakashananda Saraswati was there. He said to have 60,000 sannyasi disciples. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to town with a couple of people. He's doing Harinams and Kirtan. Tapanisha, Chandrasekhar, whom he had sent there. And they didn't know why. Mahaprabhu didn't want to go to the town. There was no devotees. <laughs> we should learn, <laughs> learn a lesson like that. Mahaprabhu went through Banaras on his way to Vrindavan. What does it mean to us? Banaras was the seat of Mayavad and Shunyavad. He taught us that must be crossed over to go to Vrindavan. Prabhupada was very bent on, you know, what did he say about himself? Nirvishesha Shunyavadi, Paschachadesha, Tarini. And when anybody writes a book, be it a commentary on the sacred books as well, you've got a, something in mind, what you want to accomplish who your audience is, where you want to take it. So Prabhupada was bringing Krishna Bhakti to the western shores for the first time, and he knew, you've got to get this mayavad out of your head, otherwise you can't be a devotee. So he took every opportunity, he created opportunities, in fact. To, I mean, read his Bhagavad Gita, it's like one per part after another, you know, about mayavad this, mayavad that, mayavad vibhasya suni like hoi sarvanasha. So he had this one emphasis. Other emphasis, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna, the supreme personality of Godhead. Krishna, 
the Supreme Personality of God. You'd think he needs an editor. It's a little bit redundant here. Couldn't you say Krishna, the son of Nanda, Krishna this, Krishna that, every time. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of God. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of God. It may appear to be a literary fault, but what he's doing is he's saying over and over and over again, Krishna's to Bhagavan Sayam. Krishna's to Bhagavan Sayam. Krishna's to Bhagavan Sayam. And this is the Paribas Sutra that Jiva Goswami says, unlock the whole meaning of the tattva of Srimad Bhagavatam, you know, kind of a sutra form in English, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of God, just like, I mean, as a wisdom, he had something to accomplish. He wanted to make devotees on new, new turf, so to speak. So, these two things, and Gaudiya, brand of devotees. So, so Krishna, the source of Narayan, Aum Sarvasya Prabhupada, Matasaram Prabhupada, and Mayavad, out of your head. And he was, of course, very successful. And there's more to be said. <laughs> so there need to be more books. But Mahaprabhu, anyway, went to Banaras. He converted Prakasana Saraswati there. And um, how did he do that? He came and he, upon invitation, he didn't come. He didn't come around. He was a sannyasi and he didn't come around to their discourses on Vedanta. Instead, he was just engaged in emotional singing and dancing with a couple of his associates. And so they invited him. There's this sannyasi. He's attractive, but he's really... I mean, sannyasis aren't for singing and dancing. And so they invited him. So he came, and what did he do? He sat where they washed their feet as he come into the, into the temple. There he sat. And his humility was overwhelming. If Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, if Krishna wants to be humble, my gosh, then the humility just converted them. They just were overwhelmed by that. Then they saw around him their ideal, Brahman effulgence, seemed to be coming from him. So this way he made his conversions, so many of them. He converted the Digby Jai Pandit back in Navadweep also, very casually. And he didn't have to say much because of the power of his realization and his example. Very attractive. So this was his way. He is Krishna in his Acharya Leela. So in that sense, he's the guru of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. We worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu like the, the guru. Nadia is Sadhana Siddha Bhumi. So it's a place of Siddhas who are in the form of Sadhakas doing Sadhana. That's Dhyanavadip, Nadia. All of them, they're all Siddhas, but they appear as Sadhakas. And they're friends and servants of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, going to Kirtan, worshipping Radha and Krishna and so forth. Following the example of Mahaprabhu, he's the leader, he's, he's the guru. So in one sense, he's the guru of the Sampradaya. But Nathananda Prabhu is also described as a Kanda Guru Tattva. And the idea here is what? That Krishna first expresses himself in terms of a separate, if you will, individuality as Baladev, Balaram. Prabhupada used to refer to Krishna as Krishna, is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and Ram is the Supreme Personality. You know, Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, served, and Balaram is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, servitor. So Balaram has a disposition of service, fraternity, and parental love. It's really Sakya, but mixed with Dasya and, and Batsalya. And um, he personifies the serving ego. In fact, what is... Uh, Shripad Krishnadas say, 
he says that um, Balaram, mm, I can't remember. Anyway, he says that Balaram is the source of the serving ego. Hmm. Baladev? Ah, Mool Balaram. Bhakta Abhiman Mool Balaram. The Mool, the root of the Bhakta Abhiman. Abhiman means a conceit, means an ego, a disposition. So, Bhakta Abhiman, the root of the serving disposition and conceit of a devotee, is found in Balaram. He's the source of that. So, in this way, he's like the original. Guru, he is Krishna, but he is Krishna in a, in a similar way. We say that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna as a devotee. Balaram is God, but he takes a position of devotion to Krishna. You know, there's the famous Dauji deity in Vrindavan, in uh, in the Braj, and he's black. You've seen Balaram; he's got a white complexion. He's described like that in the scriptures, also. Only difference between the two is one has a dark complexion, one has light, and so forth. This kind of thing. So you go there and you think, well, what is it? What is Dauji means older brother. Why is the older brother black? The idea is this that when Baladev was sent by Krishna to console the inhabitants of Vrindavan in his absence, he talked to Nanda Baba, Krishna's father and mother, and Yashoda, and then he had the friends. So when he eventually talked to the gopis, and he tried to satisfy them, delivering the message about Krishna, you know, Krishna's message to them. So, and then they commenced with the Rasalila, Balaram. But Balaram is dancing with the gopis, and he's dancing in the mood of representing Krishna. And he's so good at it that he turned black. <laughs> hmm? He has no tendency to be the enjoyer in relation to the gopis. He put himself completely into the mood of Krishna and represented Krishna. That, that deity represents that truth about Baladev. So we see him like this. There may be other sides to Baladev, but our Sampada, our lineage, presenting this aspect of Balaram. So the supreme example of service, we sing in the morning, Bhijamani Bhakshetala, Jalamala Sutra. So, this is describing Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Dujamani. He's the jewel of the twice born of the Brahmins. So he wears the thread. Dujamani Bhakshe Tava. So crossing his chest is an effulgent thread. Dujamani Bhakshe Tava Jalamala Sutra. His sutra, the thread, is Jalamala. Brilliant. And Paduka Parai Dware Ar Atopatra. His shoes are there, his bed. He's on the bed, he's at the shoes, and then there's an umbrella and so forth. So all these are covert references to Nityananda Prabhu. He is the thread. He is the umbrella, and he has manifest himself as the shoes. What does it mean? That he is serving Chaitanya Mahaprabhu from head to toe. He's the umbrella over his head. He's the shoes at the bottom of his feet. He's wrapped himself around Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in service in the form of his Brahman thread. We worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And why do we worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? What is the call, what is the genesis of the worshiping of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? That is Nitai Chand. He said, Vaja Gauranga, Kaha Gauranga, Laha Gauranga Ernam, Yejana Gauranga Bhaje Seamar Pran. 
This is the preaching of Nityananda Prabhu. Bhaja Gauranga, Kaha Gauranga, Laha Gauranga Nam. Mahaprabhu told him, worship Krishna, speak about Krishna, teach about Krishna, chant the name of Krishna, take the name of Krishna. Bhaja Krishna, Kaha Krishna, Laha Krishna Nam. And Nityananda Prabhu said, hell with that. <laughs> this, is your, this is your time. You are Krishna and you have come in this age and you will take the seat. And I will, I will preach to the people this. Bajagauranga, Kahagauranga, Lahagauranga, Ernam. And how do I feel about that? And those people, Yejana, Goranga Bhaje, they do the bhajan of Goranga, who worship Goranga, say, Amar Prana. They are my life. They are my life breath, my heartbeat. He started the whole worship of Chaitanya. Now we are commemorating the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, worshiping him. The genesis of the whole Gaudiya idea in which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the deity that comes from Nitai Chand. If we want to know Siddhanta, we don't go to Nityananda Prabhu. We go to the Goswamis. If we want mercy, we go to Nityananda Prabhu. Generosity. Well, here at Adarya, what have we done? We sold our head at the feet of Nitai Chand. This is our position. No small thing. We shall view Chaitanya Mahaprabhu through the eyes of Nityananda Prabhu and tell me that's not Gaudiya Vaishnavism? <laughs> These two are inseparable. Nitai and Gaur. He is the best friend of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He is the closest associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Vishnu Tattva also. People like to be... They're all good. Advaita is important. He brought Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But he is a Mahavishnu. He is expansion of Nityananda Prabhu. The Shakti Tattva also. Hmm. They're subordinate to the, to the Vishnu Tattva. So Nityananda Prabhu, he started the whole Chaitanya Sampradaya. He had some friends, and he commissioned them all. They took his advice. Bajagoranga, Kahagoranga, Lahagoranga, Nam. They went and they opened centers for preaching Gaudiya Vaishnavism. The first initiates in the Sampradaya, all the followers of Nityananda Prabhu, all in Sakyarasa. This is the beginning of the whole Sampradaya. All over Bengal, long before the Goswamis you know, wrote down and uh, universalized, in a way, the teaching by putting it in the universal religious language of the time, Sanskrit. Nityananda Prabhu was not a big scholar. He was just a big lover of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he started the whole affair. He was, uh, Nityananda Prabhu, he made his, his own appearance about 12 years prior to the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And as a young lad, he was taken from his home by a sannyasi and went touring, traveling all over India, paralleling, if you will, the pastimes of Nityananda Prabhu, who or Balaram and Krishna Lila, who went and traveled in the south and established the speaker of the Bhagavatam, Sutta Goswami, for all of us. Whenever we hear Sutta, Shri Sutta Vacha, we think, Balaram, he's there, he's given us this. Balaram has given us the Bhagavatam in pure form, in a sense. And Nitai Prabhu has given us Chaitanya Charitamrita, Chaitanya Bhagavat. He studied authors, where they say they got the inspiration, the order, the inspiration to write the book. Vrindavan Das Thakur, of course, he's eternal associate of Nithai. He made it very clear. Antaryami Nityananda told me to write this book. 
Krishnadas Kabiraz also attributes his good fortune of going to Vrindavan and getting the order to write about the pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to Nityananda Prabhu as well. When we study Nityananda Prabhu, you see everything, all worship of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has come from him. All the information we have about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he's the genesis of that. He liked Jiva Goswami. Bhakti Thakur's perspective was what Jiva Goswami was taught by Nityananda Prabhu, taken around Navadweep. He revealed the Dham to him, then he told him, you do this, you go to Banaras, and you study, 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 then go to Vrindavan, take shelter of Rupa and Sanatana and so forth. And in so many ways, he, just like I say, he's above the head, he's beneath the feet, and he's wrapped around the whole torso of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. If you start to peel back the uh, pages and see, Nityananda's everywhere. And this is Bhaktabhiman, and in no small measure he has the ego of the servitor. So that's why we sometimes identify him as the person that personifies the principle of Guru, because Guru is Krishna in a sense, but he's a Krishna servitor. It's the Ashray Tattva, where the Vishay and Ashray. Krishna is the Vishay, the object of love, and then there's the the embodiment of that love. The object of love can't teach how to love himself. The ashray alambana can teach that love. So Krishna comes in the form of the ashray, that is guru. Nityananda Prabhu then, as I say, a prominent example of this. He went and traveled throughout India, and when he got to Vrindavan, it corresponded with the... Uh, the time in which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was just beginning to manifest himself as a devotee. He arrived there, he, he looked at all the deities in Vrindavan and, he, and, he and he, they seemed to be statues. He thought, where is Krishna? Where is Krishna? And he got the impression, he's in Navadvip. The whole of Krishna, Swayam Bhagavan has come, and all the deities have come, come within him, they're all there. It means what? Only through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu can we understand Vrindavan. Krishna, Radha and Krishna, they're all within him. You go to Vrindavan to worship Krishna, but outside of the conception, the grace, the kindness, the understanding of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you will never enter the Brachlila. There are other Raghsampradayas, but they don't go where Gaudiya Vaishnavism goes. Gaudiya Vaishnavism has shown Radhakund, midday pastime. This is Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Barkasu can be on the outer rim, Swagya, not Parakya. Balabhazarag Sampradaya, but you won't have that. You won't find Radhadasyam there. And so Chaitanya Mahaprabhu takes us to the core, the whole Brajlila. Nityananda Prabhu was in the Braj, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was now manifesting as a devotee. He saw all the deities, Radha and Krishna, all, all, all came inside of him. Go to Navadweep, worship in Navadweep live in Vrindavan. This is the secret of Gaudiya Vaishnava. Make Chaitanya Mahaprabhu the deity. And the more your devotion to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes, the example of that devotion, so much coming from Nityananda Prabhu, the Goswamis were a little quiet about it. Nityananda Prabhu was very outspoken about it. (laughs) They were a little reserved because the idea was revolutionary, that Krishna had come in the Kali Yuga. And, And they were 
showing it from the Bhagavatam, so trying to establish the Sampradaya and so forth, but it was touch and go. People were challenging the, the conception. They did a great job of it. You know, that we are internally indebted to them, and they were empowered by Mahaprabhu to do it. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had a different kind of style, more like our Prabhupada, or Nityananda Prabhu, I should say. Just like, out with it. So, anyway, he went to Vrindavan. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had a dream that somebody had come to my house last night and was saying, Is this the house of Nimai Pandit? Come out. He had a chariot with a, with a palm tree on it, the chariot of Balaram. Come out from there. You're hiding. So in the morning he woke up and said, I think a great personality has come to Navadweep. You should go and find him. So they went everywhere, Haridas and uh, others, looking. They came, but we couldn't find anybody. He said, I will show you. He went to the house of Nandacharya, and there was Nityananda who was sitting on a rocker. <laughs> Off his rocker, he was. <laughs> the idea is very difficult to understand Nityananda Prabhu. Therefore, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu went to great pains to point out to the devotees what was his position despite his appearance and so forth. He was Avaduta. So he was very much otherworldly uh, in a sense, and his appearance and behavior in this world was hard to understand. He would drink milk from the teats of the cows himself, like a calf, jump in the Ganges and swim with crocodiles and so forth. He was a madman. He was, and he was mad for Nimai Pandit. This is what he was mad about. So they met, they embraced, and Nityananda became the chief advocate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was teaching Krishna Bhakti, and the devotees were thinking, he's got so much bhakti for Krishna, where does it come from? It's almost as if he's Krishna himself. Now, how could that be? If he were Krishna, then where are his associates? They were siddhas in the sadhaka dehas, in the leela of sadhakas. So they thought, if he's Krishna, well, then where are all of his associates? No, no. So he can't be Krishna, but he's seen him. Is it? No. Nityananda Prabhu just came out and said, yes, he is, and, and you are all his associates. <laughs> Mahaprabhu himself showed it to Sri Sangam, and you are so-and-so, and you are so-and-so. Know me as I am. What kind of uh, experience they had. What kind of kirtan? What kirtan? What dancing? Such kirtan. Mm-hmm. Such dancing. The world has never seen. And Nityananda Prabhu was a force behind this. He started this whole thing. Gorkirtan. By the time he came to, Mahabhu was maybe 20, 22, 23 years old. 23, 22, Nityananda about 35 at that time. And of course he, he stayed like glue with Mahabhu. When Mahabhu went to Puri, he went with him. At a certain point, Mahabhu sent him away for our sake, back to Bengal uh, to preach. He lived beyond the time in the world of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's disappearance and, as I say, inspired all the, all the principal biographies about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, if we want to understand Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we shall try to see through the eyes of Nityananda Prabhu, the embodiment of the serving ego, and he has great power. We ourselves are living, really, honestly, in the, in the wake of his extraordinary power exhibited as it was through the person of our Guru Maharshi, 
Puja Pada Esi Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada. It was uh, Puja Pada who said, I think Shaktivesh, uh, we should see. It's, it's shouldn't be misunderstood, but when he was asked, what kind of a Vesh or an empowerment, he said, Nityananda Vesh, and he gave them so many examples. Prabhupada prayed for the power we sing his song in the evening. Krishna Tava Punya Habim Pai Radharani Kushi Habi Dhruvati Boli Tomatai This is his reasoning with Krishna, very sublime kind of reasoning. Oh Krishna, just see your position. It is such that if Radharani is pleased, then your life will be successful. And um, so I'm thinking that she said Anta Saraswati my Guru Maharaj, he's in your group, in Radha's group, and he has asked me to do something. I want to please him. So it will be good for you if you give me the power to do that, because Radharani will be pleased, and then your life will be successful. This was his reasoning. So what did Krishna do? He sent Nidhananda Prabhu to live inside of him practically. Even outside of the Bhaktivinoda Paribar, many people say, oh, Yes, the Bhaktivedanta, yes, Nityananda Vesh. From all, so many different paribars, outside of the Saraswati paribar, you know, Bhaktivinoda paribar, and so forth. They recognize, they acknowledge this. So, he has brought Gaur Bhakti to the shores here, so it's appropriate, therefore, to say a few words about him on this sacred day. Any question? Yes. Understanding Nityananda Prabhu as a, as a manifestation of the, of the Guru, it seemed like in his uh, external dealers, sometimes he was given these like mild pastimes. So how do we like put those two together between being a manifestation of Guru and sometimes acting out of normal? The two are a composite in a sense. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu exhibited the perfect behavior. And Chaitanya Prabhu, the madness that, that rages within. The Guru has a madness. You know. He says, oh, this name of Krishna is so extraordinary. When it dances on my tongue, I think, I don't have enough tongues to take advantage of this. I need millions of tongues. And when it dances in my ears, I think, oh, my two ears are insufficient to take advantage of these two syllables, Krishna. When it then dances in the courtyard of my heart, my senses become like inert, like immovable in relation to sense objects. Problem. So I need millions of ears and millions of tongues. Help me. This is what the guru preaches. Help! Help! Like this. And people come and say, what can we do? Chant. So give me your ears. <laughs> give me your tongues. Like this. I cannot move. My heart is captivated by the dancing of Krishna Nam in my heart. Help me. This is his uh, predicament. Pila is the madness raging within. So Nityananda Prabhu personifies that internal madness. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, at least for the better part of his Lila, exemplifies the ideal character, which too should be there, right? Otherwise it's hard to, hard to take advantage of the example of how to conduct oneself to arrive at that madness is not um, present in the Guru. So, both things are there, and it's composite of the two.
And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of course, because he conducted himself in a particular way, he couldn't go to certain places, and those places Nityananda Prabhu went to give love of God. It said if anyone asked for love of God, Mahaprabhu would give it, and Nityananda Prabhu would give it to the people who didn't want it. So, I mean, be intelligent, you know, you invest your energy there. <laughs> Another question? On Gorpurnim, we celebrate the advent of Lachitanya. What was the meaning of the Purnim festival that everyone was celebrating when he was, came to this? In the first place. In other words, there was a Purnim. There was a Purnim. Purnim is a full moon, but there was an eclipse of the full moon. And so, um, when there was an eclipse of the moon, it was considered to be inauspicious. The full moon was rising, but it being covered by the Rahu, by the shadow. Was it the shadow of the earth? or mm-hmm. Right? And so, a subtle, the, the sages would personify all the movements of the of nature and so forth. So Rahu is the shadow. And um, Rahu is malefic, whereas the moon is beneficent? Benefic. Benefic, thank you. And so when the eclipse covered the moon, it was thought to be an inauspicious time. So because it was inauspicious, people were going to the Ganges during the solar eclipse, bathing in the Ganges and chanting the holy names of Hari. So he arranged a time to appear when people would be chanting you understand? It's because he's inaugurating then the Dharma of the Nam. Everybody knows that the chant the name is auspicious, but the extent to which it's auspicious, the extent to which it is a spiritual practice, the measure of that spiritual practice, how it exceeds the measure of any other spiritual practice. So this is all the teaching of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu then. So he let the name manifest, and then he came as the teacher about the name and gave us the Nam Dharma. Theology of the name. Another question? You had one, let's have James, is it? James? Yes. Um, yeah. In the Vedic Shastras, there seems to be a, a large amount of dialectics or paradoxes that are emphasized in, in uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Yesterday you touched on Chinta Veda Veda and the, the student as guru. Um, today, Chaitanya as, as uh, Krishna, loving Krishna. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any, uh, is it fruitful for a devotee to think about these paradoxes as some sort of a general collective uh, lesson? And if, if so, how should we approach them or how should we try to see them so that they are revealed correctly? Well, the tattva behind those different paradoxes or apparent contradictions can be understood through good association and so forth. But uh, over and above that, in one sense, these paradoxes and apparent contradictions and so forth, which are kind of like, you know, short-circuiting and whatnot, they're, they're meant to do just that in one sense. They're kind of like Zen cones, if you will, that, that are meant to like tell you, you know, stop thinking. Stop thinking about Krishna consciousness and be Krishna conscious because we do a lot of thinking about it without actually taking it up. So it's in a, in a way, over, in an overriding way, I think they're meant to tell us that it's beyond your intellect. It's, it's, and it's, it's that place in which the world is full of contradictions where all contradictions are, are resolved. And we try to resolve 
this is kind of what we do in life in one respect. We, we try to resolve contradictions and, and so forth. And it's, they're saying they're all resolved here. And they appear to, they appear to be there too. But, they, but anyway, to, it, it, you, need to, you need, you know, it's very central to the yogic practice and experience to stop thinking, if you will. So that's kind of the idea. And Krishna Leela's is like that also. You have to stop thinking, otherwise you can't get it. <laughs> it's a funny religion, yeah. <laughs> it turns everything. It turns the whole religious world upside down on its head, really, Godi Vaishnavism. Its ideas are... And it did at the time when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Sanatana Rupa Goswami, they were establishing the Sampradaya. People thought, what is this? What are they talking about? The place of Shakti and over Bhagawan, but dependent upon Bhagawan, but over... Uh, it was... Um, it's very, uh, very revolutionary. And it's also, it's kind of the nature of, you know, love is very confusing. <laughs> so if it's really love of God, it's going to have to be confusing. And uh, I'm pretty confused about it myself. So uh, it's a deep, you know, deep subject. It's uh, fathomless. You know, always finding out something, some nuanced uh, understanding of how it all works. So it's, it's, it's also meant, I think, to, I was mentioning this the other day a little bit, that there's, this, there's a kind of uncertainty that is fostered, that's healthy, because it's said in the Upanishad, for example, those who say they know Brahman, they don't know Brahman. Those who say, I don't know Brahman, they know Brahman. Or I like to tell the story of the Bhagavatam. There was a, you know, some of you heard it before, but it's always nice to hear again. There was a father who taught, wanted his son to get an education, so he sent him from Vrindavan to Banaras to get an education. So he went and he studied you know, many texts, and he came back, and the father said, so you went to Banaras, yes, did you get an education? Yes, very much, thank you. Now I'm an educated Brajbasi, you just see my position. All these villagers, what do they know? I've been to the West, or wherever it is. I've been to Banaras now, so I'm above it all. father said, very good. So did you study uh, Srimad Bhagavatam? He said, I don't think we studied that book. His father said, oh, then you didn't, you didn't get an education. Maybe we should go back to Banaras and study Srimad Bhagavatam. So his son he went back, he studied Srimad Bhagavatam, he came back. father said, so did you study Srimad Bhagavatam? He said, yes. Now I know why you sent me back. That one book alone, he said, what I learned from that is overriding every other book. All other books were included in that, and there's more in the Bhagavatam. So I thank you for sending me back to get a edu- real education, studying Srimad Bhagavatam. And Father said, so you understood the Bhagavatam? He said, yes. He said, go back to Banaris then and study Srimad Bhagavatam a second time. <laughs> so again he went back, again he studied Srimad Bhagavatam, again he returned. Father said, so did you study Bhagavatam a second time? He said, yes. He said, and I thank you for sending me back. He said, that after studying a second time, I realized I didn't understand it the first time. He said. So Father said, so now you've understood Bhagavatam. He says, yes, now after studying it twice, I've understood. And of course, Father said, go back to Banaras, <laughs> study Srimad Bhagavatam. So again he went, again he studied, again he returned. And Father said, so did you study Srimad Bhagavatam a third time? He said, yes. And so, did you understand Srimad Bhagavatam? He said, no, I cannot understand Srimad Bhagavatam. Father said, now you've understood Srimad Bhagavatam. <laughs> now you can live in the village of Braj here and just be a village person. <laughs> it all comes to that, something like that. This is the highest, again, a contradiction. This is the highest learning.
That is the teaching of the brudge. Everybody wants to get out of the brudge these days. <laughs> so I thank everybody for coming again. It's been interesting. It's now we've been going for a couple of days and um, with these talks and kirtan and prasadam.